Likutei Sichais, Chedek Tezayin, Volume 16, the first Sicha for Parshas Pikudei. This Sicha is a Rashi Sicha. However, it's a very easy Sicha to understand. And although we will employ some of the Kloli Rashi, some of the rules in Rashi, yet it's, there's no back and forth. And it, like I said, it's quite easy to understand. Now, I think also at the end, we will reach a very interesting understanding, insight, into something that's very, a very common practice in and amongst us, Chassidi Chabad, the Rebbe's Chassidim. So the Rebbe begins with Sicha, and this is on Parshas Pekudei, but really it also covers Parshas Vayakil and Pekudei, which in many years, or in most years, are read together. So the Rebbe said, as pointed out many times, there's a fundamental rule in Rashi, namely, that he always addresses every and any matter in Pshutai Shomikra that requires our attention. That means anything that comes up that may be problematic, that Rashi senses that will be a question or an issue or a matter of, you know, difficult to understand, Rashi addresses it. He addresses it even to the extent that even if he himself cannot explain it according to Shemikra, he will address it and tell us, I don't know the answer for this. Of course, he did know the answer, but he doesn't know the answer that will suffice, that will benefit us in, you know, exclusively in Pshutei Shemikra. Okay? But never does Rashi ignore a matter which is so obviously an issue in Pshutei Shemikra. This, therefore, brings us to the conclusion that when we see that Rashi does not address what seems to be, what looks to be, an obvious question, an obvious dilemma, that tells us that it could be one of the two reasons. Either, number one, it indeed is not an issue, as it seems at the first glance. It's really not a problem. It's not a matter that needs his attention. Or, maybe even that, yes, it is, but Rashi had already answered that question previously somewhere in a different Rashi. And it's just, we need to do the work to see how to connect the two and get the appreciation of what Rashi said there and apply it to this place. So in our Parsha, and like I said, in our two Parshiot, there seems to be an obvious question. And it's really screaming from all sides. It screams out loud. In Parsha's Vayakal and Pikude, Moshe shares with the Yidin. Moshe tells the Yidin about the commandment of building a Mishkan. The Mishkan, that is the Mishkan and all its vessels, and he goes into full detail, most of which, if not all, have already been discussed in detail and at length in Parshas Truma and then later in Parshas Tzisaba. And it goes over and over. And then again, when it goes into the implementation phase, Again, it describes everything in detail. And then later in Parshish Pekudah, it details again everything, it lists again everything that was constructed. The Mishkan and the Kalim and all the Big Day Kuhun and all the garments of the of the Kainim and so on. It seems that it would have just sufficed if it would have said, quote, Moshe shared with the Yidin all that Hashem commanded, and we already know all that Hashem had commanded, because like I said, it is explicitly written in detail in Parshas Truma and Tetzabah, and all that the Pasuk had to say is, quote, the Yidin did 
as Hashem Hashem had commanded. Okay, and this this is many times in the Torah we find where the Torah in the initial mention of a certain mitzvah. Hashem, in, so to speak, in the command phase, where Hashem speaks to Moshe, goes into all the detail, and then later it just gives us one verse or two verses stating the fact that, something to the effect that Moshe told this commandment to the Jewish people, and so they did as Moshe had commanded. Why over here does it go into all this detail? Now this question becomes even stronger, and when I say this question, not just the question in general, but also the fact that we, we can see from Rashi himself that he also, so to speak, sensed that there's a repeat here. How do we see that? Because almost in the beginning of the Parshas, if you look in chapter 35, verse 5, Rashi says, I have no need to explain and to, to, to comment on the verses that are going to follow, meaning on the next two parshiyas that are going to tell us all the uh, workings of the and the construction of the Mishkan and all its vessels, I don't have to tell it to you, you know, in detail, play by play. You know why? Because, quote, I already explained it all in their place of commandment, meaning in Parshas Turum and Tetzavah. So you see from Rashi himself that Rashi is kind of saying, look, this is all going to be just merely a repeat. There's no point in me explaining it again. You know, just refer to what I already explained. So that tells us that Rashi knows that this seems to be extra, this seems to be an absolute repeat. Yet, Rashi doesn't address this question, this big elephant in the room, why does the Torah repeat it again and again? And Rashi's Rashi's silence is even more perplexing. In other words, you know, if one would even think to argue that maybe to Rashi this is not considered a question. You know, the fact that the Torah repeats something, it's it's the Torah's choice it's at the Torah's discretion when it wants to repeat something. No. We see that in according to Rashi's way of thinking, which is the Torah way of thinking, the fact that the Torah repeats something is a matter of concern. And it's already supposed to trigger in us a, a, a quest for an explanation, a reason why, why the Torah is repeating it. We already see it in the previous Parsha. In Parsha's Kisisa, where there's merely one verse that's repeated three times in the Torah, the verse that says you should not cook milk and meat together, Rashi points out why the Torah repeats it three times and what each time teaches us. So you see that it is a matter of concern when the Torah uh, repeats something, and especially to Rashi. And when I say especially to Rashi, I mean Imshutei Shemikra. So why then does Rashi ignore it here? Now perhaps... One would suggest that maybe in the course of Rashi's explanation on the Parsha, Rashi does somehow address this question and to satisfy it to some degree. How is that? On the Pasik, if you look at chapter 38, verse 23, it says over there, quote, did everything that Hashem commanded to Moshe. Notice it doesn't say everything that Moshe told him to do or everything Hashem commanded. It says specifically everything Hashem commanded to Moshe. So Rashi explains that the Pasuk is actually telling us something very, very extraordinary that took place. And that is that when Moshe told B'Tzalel, if you know, if you look closely, Moshe told B'Tzalel, who was in charge of the entire construction and operation of building the Mishkan, Moshe first told him about the vessels. And then he told them about the construction of the Mishkan. When it came to the implementation, B'Tzalel said to him, this doesn't make sense. 
This doesn't seem to be the correct order. The way the world operates, the way you do things is first you build a home, first you build an abode, and then you fill it up with all the kalim, then you fill it up with the furniture. So it would make sense, said Bitsalo to him, that first we should build the mishkan, first we build the structure, and then we should make, you know, the menorah and the shulchan and the ur and everything else. Not in that order, actually. Okay? And Moshe actually said to him, wow, correct, that's exactly how Hashem said it to me. And that's what the Torah is uh, hinting when the Torah says that he did everything that Hashem commanded Moshe. Okay, so maybe perhaps this is the reason why the Torah goes into detail in telling us, you know, how they made the Mishkan and how they made the Kalim, all the vessels, in order to point out that when Bitzalel did it, he made first the Mishkan and then the Kalim. But that is not sufficient. That's an interesting answer, but that doesn't work. That doesn't make that doesn't make it. The cut. Why? Because still it doesn't explain why in such detail. All it could have done is given us two, three verses saying, Bitsalo made the Mishkan, its walls, its curtains, and, and, and the drapery, and then he made the Ara and the Shulchan and so on and so forth. Why tell us the dimensions and everything about it back and forth and again? It would have been just enough to say that he built it. And then later again in Parshas Pekudei, there's another, yet another question. If that was the argument that the Torah is trying to point out and tell us how he made first the Mishkan and then the Kalim, and that's the reason for repeating it, it still doesn't explain why in Parshas Pekudei it goes into detail and it repeats everything about the priestly garments, the Big Day Kahuna. Again, for that there's no explanation because that didn't matter in what order he did it. Did he do it before? Did he do it after? That doesn't matter. And that is not explained by this particular explanation in Rashi, which we're trying to apply here. So the conclusion of all this, bottom line, why does the Torah repeat it again? And more importantly, why doesn't Rashi address it at all? Rashi seems to totally ignore the fact that the Torah is repeating it again and again and again in so much detail. And the answer to all of this is, and the Rebbe says that it's actually quite obvious, and that is, that the Mishkan and all its vessels was one of the main and fundamental things by the Yidin, especially at that time, for all times, but especially at that time. Why? Think about it. They sinned with the golden calf and they, 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 they felt the, the, the lack of the presence of the Shekhinah and they were embarrassed by what happened with the sin of the golden calf. Here Hashem gave him an opportunity to build the Mishkan. And what is the Mishkan called? The Mishkan is also called Mishkan Ha'edus. The tabernacle of the testimony. Testimony to what? So Rashi tells us. Testimony to the fact that Hashem forgave the Eden. That if Hashem forgives the Eden and gives them an opportunity, provides for them a means in which He will dwell amongst them. Even though they push the Shekhinah away with the golden calf. So we can understand that this is such a tremendous thing for all the Jewish people. This is something extraordinary and most fundamental. Something which is of such great value to a person in, in, in general, and particularly to them at that time, is something that a person continuously repeats in detail again and again and talks about it all the time because it's something that's so, so special. The question is, but why doesn't Rashi say that? That's a very good answer. And actually, it's the correct answer. But why doesn't Rashi say it? 
The answer is he already did. Rashi already told us this idea that something that is special, something that has such great value to a person, is something that you repeat. Where do we see this? In a much earlier Parsha. If you look in Parsha's Chayesara, you recall the story when Avram sent his servant Eliezer. And first the Torah tells us in detail, play by play, everything he experienced on the way. And then later when he sat down with the parents of Rivka Imenu, again he tells us over the story, and again in full detail. And what does Rashi tell us there? Rashi quotes a Gemara. The Gemara says, Omar Rabbi Acha. Rabbi Acha said, that it's pleasing and it's special by Hashem. The ordinary discussion, the ordinary conversation of the servants of our patriarchs, even more than the Torah, than the laws of the children. So we already know that something that is Yafa, something that is special, that is cherished, that is dear to you, is something that you discuss again. And yes, the very same Torah that seems to always be very, very, so to speak, skimpy on how many words it says, even sometimes how many letters, but in a case that something is so special, is so dear, it'll go and repeat the entire thing, verse after verse after verse, and that's exactly what's happening over here. However, the Rebbe says, before we continue, this still seems to be a question. Now that we're trying to apply that Rashi, let's take a closer look at that Rashi, and perhaps it would seem that that Rashi does not fit here. If anything, that Rashi is reason why this is not the correct answer here. Why? Because if you look closely to the words, what is it that Rashi said? That it is special to Hashem, the ordinary conversation of the servants of the patriarchs, more than the Torah of the children of the descendants, us, the Bnei Yisrael. Well, isn't this a matter of the Torah of the descendants, right? The building of the Mishkan is the Torah of the children. So according to that Rashi, it would seem, and that Gemara that he's quoting, it would seem that if anything, it should not be repeated here. Only over there where it was the conversation of the servants of the patriarchs, that's why it's being repeated. Says the Rebbe, no. The answer is that that is not a correct emphasis. The true emphasis on the Rashi is not so much about quote, the servants of the of the patriarchs versus the children, their descendants of the patriarchs, but the, 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 the emphasis is, the contrast is more on the sicha, which is the ordinary talk, versus the Torah, which is the laws as they appear in the Torah. In other words, the point of that Rashi is to tell us that the sicha, the ordinary talk, that's what, that which doesn't seem to be of, of, uh, of most importance is sometimes more special to Hashem than the actual laws and directives that Hashem gives. Let's see the difference. What's the difference between Torah and Sicha? Torah is, as the word Torah means, directives, commands, laws. What is Sicha? Sicha means ordinary conversation, talk, relating a story. And that is the point. And that answers the question very well. That, that takes care of the whole matter. The idea over here is that in Truma and Titzava, that is the, quote, Torah phase of the, of the, of the details of the Mishkan and all its kalim and all its vessels and the garments of the priests. 
Why? Because over there it tells us the laws, how they have to be made, the dimensions, and so on. In our in our part of the story, which is in Parshas Vayakal and Pekudei, we are now in the Sicha phase. This is already ordinary conversation. This is already repeating something which we know. We're not repeating it for the purpose of teaching law, because like Rashi says right in the beginning, that already I explained back then. There's no need for me to explain it again. The law you know, or the law you should know from there. Now it's just merely a conversation. This points out, this is the highlight of what the Rebbe says, that because it's so special, because it's something which meant so much to them, and therefore because of that it means also so much to Hashem, therefore it gets repeated again and again and again. It's something we cannot stop talking about. And the Rebbe says with this, we'll actually understand Another, have another insight back into that Rashi in Parshas Chayesara. And I'll preface with the famous rule in Rashi that the Rebbe always pointed out, namely, that Rashi does not quote the author. He does not name the author of a quote unless that naming the author actually enhances and, and gives better meaning and appreciation to what Rashi is trying to explain. How does the name Rabbi Acha in there where he says that Rabbi Acha said that, you know, greater or more special to Hashem is the ordinary conversation over the actual Torah of the children. Well, again, the emphasis wasn't the children, it was the Torah. How does that enhance it? So the Rebbe says there's a machloikis, there's an interesting discussion in a, in a totally different Masechta, in Maseches Yuma. Over there, there's a machlekes on the words which we recite every day in the Shema. It says, You shall speak in them. It's a commandment for the Torah to speak in them. In speaking what? In the words of Torah. So the Gemara tells us that there is a machlekes. One says that bam, in them, meaning in the words of Torah, you have permission to speak and not in anything else. You do not have permission to speak on anything. In other words, a Jew should not engage in idle banter. Jews should not engage in empty, in empty talk, in empty conversation. You need to be engaged constantly in Torah. As a sidebar, the reason we have permission to talk about other things is because we need to live in this world. We need to earn a living and so on. But otherwise, there's no heter, there's, there's no allowance to just sit and, and waste one's time in talking to and Betel. Says Rabbi Acha. That's not exactly what these words are teaching us. What these words are telling us, quote, make this, render them, make the words of Torah your permanent speech and do not make them as a temporary speech. In other words, the words of Torah should be your main talk. But what is implied from Rabach's words, that there's other type of conversation, there's other type of talk, that the Torah does allow you to speak, albeit only on a temporary basis, not on a constant basis. Says the Rebbe, it's obvious, it's clear, that Rabbi Ach is not referring to forbidden talk, or idle talk, right? Why would, he, why would the Torah allow us to, to speak idle talk? It's obvious that when he says that there is a type of talk like namely the Torah, that you must make your permanent, your main uh, uh, engagement, that is the words of Torah. But then there's another type of talk, which is not exactly Torah, but it is certainly within the realm of it, and that, Rav Acha says, is not absolutely and totally discouraged, it's just that it shouldn't be your main thing. That is the ordinary talk that we're talking about. 
And here we see it how why Rashi points at Rabbi Acha, because it's Rabbi Acha who is the one who says that Sicha has a place. Sicha means ordinary conversation has a place in the Torah. It's just that it shouldn't be your main thing, says the Torah. Your main thing is you need to know halacha. Your main thing is you need to know what to do and what not to do. That's Vidibarta Bum, Bum, in the words of Torah. As we said earlier, Torah, it means directive. It means law. It means commands. But Sicha, ordinary conversation, there is a time for it. From time to time, you need to engage in that. Okay? And that, perhaps, the Rebbe doesn't say it here in the Sicha, but I'm suggesting in my, you know, humble understanding, is what we do as Chabad Hasidim, and actually it takes in a very, very important, there holds a very important place in Hasidus, and that is the Fabrengans. At a Fabrengan, you don't sit and learn a, a Sif in Shulchan Aruch. A Fabrengan is not a lecture on how to observe this mitzvah or that mitzvah. But what a Fabrengan be, brings is such a yafa, it's so beautiful. And it's so special. It's always special by the Rabbeim, by the Rebbe, by Hashem, by us, by Chassidim. This is what keeps us always together. This is the glue that keeps us together and keeps us motivated and there, here you can see how just like the Torah did, it repeated an entire thing, even though there was no, quote, legal value. There was no value of teaching us, you know, a law that we don't know about yet, but talking about it again, discussing it, highlighting it, just like you do by Febring and bringing out the same point, maybe hour after hour with song and with bringing the hearts together. That's really what enhances it and shows how special it is.